Today I have the pleasure of bringing to you an interview with Kelly Mellings, the illustrator of the award-winning The Outside Circle. And we talk a lot about craft and a little bit about style. And I think you'll really enjoy it. He's really brilliant and uh, the interview is quite interesting. So without further ado, we'll just dive right in. So thank you for joining my channel again today. I'm excited today because I get to have a guest on my video and I get to talk to Kelly Mellings who is a multi-award winning illustrator and he's super awesome and I'm so thankful that he's taken some time to talk to us and I get to record it and share it with you guys. Uh, I wanted to do a video about craft and about the importance of craft and uh, growing as an illustrator and I thought to myself I'm growing and I'm working at it but I, there's nobody that I know that is better suited to talk about this than my friend Kelly Mellings because he works tirelessly at improving his craft and has for years and years and years. So I'm excited to have you Kelly. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us and um, to entertain my questions and I, I know it's going to be informative for myself and for everybody listening. So thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you very much, Corey. Uh, it's, uh, the, your video series have been really uh, inspiring, so it's kind of awesome to be a part of it. And uh, yeah, share, share what little knowledge that uh, I do have about things. Uh, I have been working at things for a while. I wish it would show more in my work, but uh, you know, well, it's, it's better. Looking at old stuff, it's better. So there's, there's perhaps a nugget that we can uh, get out of here. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, so yeah, I sent you a series of questions which you've uh, had a chance to kind of peruse. And so I kind of put these questions together just sort of like, um, I don't know, to help uh, guide the conversation, I guess. And uh, if, there, if there's anything that you want to add beyond what I've asked you here, like totally just go, go for it. So, um, so the first question that I thought was like, when I was thinking about it for myself and what I'd like to kind of get from your perspective is like, what does craft mean to you? Uh, so for me, craft and art is, uh, like a really, it's just like specifically those skills necessary to make the things that doesn't mean that the things that you're going to make are good. Uh, it just means that uh, you'll have the skills uh, to make them. So I, I think the the creative aspect and the idea aspect of art is like a separate kind of thing or maybe even just a separate craft that you have to work on. Uh, and then the, the actual kind of main craft of artwork is those like visual fundamentals. And like the when I think of it, I think of like the old school illustrators and old school masters that would, you know, spend days and hours, uh, you know, doing drawings, uh, from sculptures and life casts to, to, to get those fundamentals and to build that visual library. Awesome. And like for for you, um, where, like, where did that sort of start for you in terms of like development of craft or when did you kind of become aware of it? Um, so when I was a kid, I realized, uh, like when I was pretty young that, okay, you've got to, you got, you got to get good at, uh, the drawing part of stuff if you want to do illustration or comic books or whatever. And so I would, uh, grab, uh, books out of the library and, uh, that was the only place I could get info at the time. And I would, I would, uh, 
get them. I lived in, in Pigeon Lake, so we'd go to the library, and then my mom worked at the school, so I would photocopy the book, and I still have two or three books that are uh, photocopied and then bound in the industrial arts room uh, that are that kind of started on my journey. So for me, it was uh, just kind of like realizing that, uh, okay, there's there's information out there that can help you get better at the craft part of things, and then building off that. And then, you know, I kind of worked that way for a while, and then when I moved uh, to Leduc, uh, I lived in Pigeon Lake before, so I moved to Leduc, all of a sudden there was a bunch of artists that were already you know, higher levels and better artists. So I, I realized that there was way more to learn. And then one of our friends, uh, Nick Boos, uh, really showed me that uh, there's even more individual elements of stuff. So he's like, oh, did you know that the inker brings something different to the table? I'm like, what are you talking about? The inker just traces over the pencil. He's like, no, 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 you, there's a craft to that too. So I, I started learning that, you know, each of these elements is its own separate craft and, and started seeking out uh, as much kind of at, at that time book knowledge now and you know uh, the podcast knowledge and uh, video knowledge whatever I can grab cool that's neat how like I think there's sort of like a I don't know from my perspective there seems to be sort of like a um, a point where as an artist you sort of become aware of what you're doing right like because I remember as a kid drawing too but I don't th as a kid I don't think I was super conscious of what I was engaging in do you know what I mean like, I don't know, maybe it was different for you, but I just kind of was like going through the motions and I knew I wanted to get better, but I didn't like stop and think like, oh, I'm working on this understanding or this craft. It was just like, ah, it doesn't look right. So I got to keep drawing. Yeah. And I think, I think like any artistic pursuit, it starts out, uh, as kind of like, it's fun to do. And then you get that, um, that buzz or that, that reward of getting better at it through a little bit of repetition and all of a sudden you're a little bit better at other people and you're not, you don't always know exactly why it is, uh, but it's probably just because you did it a little bit more and maybe a small natural inclination towards things. And, and I think it's like later on, like once you learn a little bit more, you start realizing like, okay, there's, there's a certain set of rules that can help me out here. Or if I do this, this, you know, this works out better than when I do it the other way. So I think it starts out like a little bit of like a, a self uh, revelation. And then it's like, okay, well, I need to learn some more about this. And, and I think you and I both have learned on our journey. Now that we've been professional artists for a while, you get a little bit higher on that ladder and then you really see how high that ladder is. And you're like, oh, wow. You know, I thought I was, you know, maybe in my twenties, I was like, well, I'm really high on this ladder of craft. And you get, you get to now and you're like, I'm so, I'm like on the first run and it's so high. So, uh, I think we both have kind of dug in and said, well, we're not, we either give up or we work really hard to, to get up a few more rungs be before we're done with our art careers. So I think, uh, you know, both of us have kind of uh, started really kind of pushing our, our personal growth as artists. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's pretty accurate. Now you um, spent like two years working on a graphic novel, which I wanted to talk about a little bit here. So the outside circle, uh, and you worked on it with Patty Labacane Benson and, uh, it's published through, um, our buddies. Uh, oh my goodness. House of a Nancy. House of a Nancy. Thank you. Wow. No uh, and so, um, now I'm curious, I was curious about sort of like the, that process of doing that large of a project. And, and its relationship to your development as an growth as an artist, right? So I wonder, I wanted to start just with um, if you could tell us a little bit about the outside circle, 
So just like kind of how did it come about, um, what's it about, and how is it important and relevant as a, a literary work today? Okay. Um, so I think it came about uh, like all good things do with uh, like parts, parts luck and parts preparedness and then that opportunity being there. Um, we'd been doing our illustration uh, company for a while and I'd been doing comic books and you, you and I have been doing comic books and telling stories with our pictures since we were little kids. Uh, and through Native Counseling Services, who Patty wrote the book, is the director of, uh, they, they did a few educational comic books through us and they turned out really good and had a really good response and, uh, you know, kids really picked up on the, picked up on them and they were very popular resources for them. And Patty's a fan of the comic book medium and she, she was just finishing up her thesis and she, uh, because she liked the comic work we did and liked working with us and knew that we understood her research and, uh, you know, some of the specific, uh, you know, problems facing, uh, the First Nations community and also, you know, just uh, some of the positive work that she'd been doing. She approached us and asked asked me if uh, if I'd want to illustrate the, the graphic novel or, uh, of her thesis. And I'm like, like, yeah, I think I need to be the person to do this because we've seen firsthand how awesome her research is and we've heard her speak so eloquently many, many times uh, about it. And I felt like it, it was like a really challenging near impossible task to translate such important information into a story but I'm like because of my love of comics and my respect for Patty and and that kind of unique situation I felt like maybe I could screw it up less than other people <laughs> maybe because I was close uh, with her and understood how important it was that uh, that we would get the the right tone and feeling for it uh, you know <laughs> maybe maybe better or different than someone else but at least you know there's I don't know I think few people would have placed the importance that it deserved on it. And I think we, you know, we, we could, hmm. um, yeah. Uh, what, uh, what else? Um, why is it important? Well, it's, uh, Patty's, Patty's, uh, Patty's thesis or her research, uh, centered around, um, healing, uh, in indigenous communities and specifically around, uh, healing, uh, for men in indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. And it, talked about uh, intergenerational trauma yeah. as something I didn't know about until I worked yeah. with Native Counseling Services and you know probably if I talked about it with my dad I'm like that's not even a real thing whatever <laughs> and uh, and when I understood it I'm like oh it's a real thing and it affects a lot of people and uh, it's really hit hard in the, the Aboriginal community because of uh, the effects of colonialism and all these laws that have been put into play so um, what's happened because of the book, uh, because it went through Canada's best publisher, because it hit at the right time, because Patty's story and research are so good, and because I didn't drop the ball with the illustration work, uh, it became a national bestseller. There's been about 30,000 copies printed of it, which is pretty amazing considering, you know, for a graphic novel, that would be, you know, more than a bestseller in comic book stores. Um, and uh, it started a national conversation. It was up for Canada Reads. People were talking about the book. Uh, people, you know, still, uh, they, it was, uh, it's won some several, several literary awards. So it's just gotten into a lot of hands. And this conversation mm -hmm. wouldn't have gotten into so many hands if we hadn't presented it in this format. Patty said she didn't want her dissertation, her life's work, 20 years of her work, to be sitting on a shelf somewhere. She wanted people to be reading it and talking about it. And it might 
it might not be as deep and uh, complex as her uh, whole research, you know, to be encapsulated into something like this. But it, it really gets the conversation started and it gives you an idea so that you can actually start talking about this and understanding our history a little bit more. Absolutely. It's such a great, um, like in my experience with reading the book and seeing people react to it, it's such a great, like, uh, opening to the conversation. You know, it, it's really accessible. Uh, the medium is accessible and people are, it's easily digestible and the way that it's carried, you carried it out and everything, it, it just reads really well. It's, it's cool. Um, and I mean, there was, there was a lot of trust there too. There's trust in, in like from Patty to let me mm-hmm. tell that story. Uh, and, uh, and because of that, uh, she let me, she let me take some liberties with stuff, uh, because she trusted me so that, you know, I would be like, well, what if we, what if we change the pacing of this? Or yeah. I think I get your point here. What if we did this? We could do it a little bit differently because I'm such a comic nerd. She's like, oh yeah, that's, that's what I was hoping for. So, um, I think that, that trust on both parts and because she knew we, we did the research and, and understood yeah. Uh, the subject matter and, and the importance of it that uh, we were able to to create something really really good that you know uses the comic medium in a way uh, that's that's the comic medium is best for like there's a few pages there that you couldn't do in a movie or you couldn't do in a book or you couldn't do in a animation it just works best as a as a comic book yeah yeah for sure and that s- sort of skill set of storytelling um, is really uh, he applied it really well and it's a really neat collaboration, right? Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Ka- Patty um, had an interest in graphic novels, and that was partly why she thought of the medium, but she doesn't have the same breadth of knowledge, right, in terms of using it as a storytelling medium. Yeah, I mean, she's she's been working, like, NCSA uses stories to, to get stuff across, so she's been, she's a great storyteller. She's a, mm-hmm. one of the best public speakers I've ever seen, and when she's, when she's involved with their movies and documentaries, they're always just really solid, so it's not like there was, it wasn't like there was any slack to pick up there, but because, uh, but because you know, she was uh, familiar with the comic medium, uh, she had an idea of stuff, but because I'm just a little bit more entrenched, I'm like, okay, what if we did this, or could do this, like, uh, it's just like anything, right? If you're if you're a, an Uber fan or a student of something, you're going to know a few more tricks and, and, and tips <laughs> that, uh, that can maybe bring things, uh, to the next level if, if, if allowed. Yeah, for sure. So that is a good segue into the next question. So after two years of investing your time into the creation of this national bestselling graphic novel, um, like, and looking back on it, where you are now, sort of like if you're standing on two edges of a, a canyon, for example, and you've crossed the other side of this canyon, and you're looking back at your, the journey that you went on to get there, uh, to where you are, like, do you have any reflections on how working through that project, or working through a project like that impacts your growth in terms of your craft? Um, I think... I, I think it helps a, a big project finishing a big project in, in any medium uh, is going to help you grow and help you get out certain things as an artist so uh, it'll help you work uh, through some of that surface stuff which we do as artists that's kind of like the first thing that we gravitate towards so oftentimes artists will start out imitating someone else uh, but if you're forced to draw a whole bunch of pages 
you don't have time to keep looking back at whatever your favorite artists are, how they drew noses or they drew faces. You just start relying on your knowledge of structure, your understanding of how to draw an object instead Mm. of uh, trying to use their solutions to those problems. Mm. And so I think a lot more of yourself starts coming through after you finish a larger project like that. Interesting. Um, And you start realizing that, you know, just drawing is more important than that surface style. Um, And I think also just, uh, I think some of the growth uh, for me personally came from uh, sticking things through and finishing stuff. It was a difficult time. Uh, While I was drawing the novel, uh, we were experiencing some shrinkage as a studio and uh, (laughs) we had to to learn learn about that a little bit. Um, I also lost my brother during that time. And I was drawing this depressing uh, funeral scene in the comic, like the day after. Uh, we were also getting one of, uh, yeah, sorry, it wasn't, uh, yeah, we we were, you know, we were experiencing like ups and downs as a studio, right? Because I think it was maybe it was maybe we had like one of our biggest projects, and then yeah, yeah. I was still finishing it when we when we didn't have that anymore. So yeah. it was a, a lot of personal growth there, a lot of like uh, just um, having to let go of it being perfect, and I think that really helped me. Uh, I have a real problem with being a perfectionist, <laughs> and I think um, while we were illustrate, while I was illustrating the graphic novel, like we had to sit down and say, "Look, we need to get this done because if you just spend all your time on this, uh, we'll tank the studio." So it was like, "Okay, I need to actually get this done, and I need to. I'm not going to sacrifice quality, but maybe I need to to be smarter about how I work, and maybe I don't need to draw every single rock somewhere and just you know mm. focus on the important stuff." And I think that really helped me. And I think after. After this comic, we did a we both did a, a comic uh, for Native Counseling Services, and I think we both finished ours uh, in under a month. Uh, so yeah. it was like, oh, okay, it's doable. You just have to you just have to you know fi- find a better way to do it. I often will pick styles because we vary styles between projects for clients, and, I, and my tendencies are to are to pick styles that are very labor intensive because I just really love the craft and I love making things beautiful. But I realized. Uh, that helped me realize that you know what that's just because it's more labor intensive doesn't mean it's always the best for that project I still think that that was the best style I still mm-hmm. could have been smarter about it. so I mean it was it was a lot of there was personal growth there was business growth and then there was uh, artistic growth through the project it was Interesting. one of the one of the biggest things that I ever finished so yeah those those were some of the things I had to learn yeah, that's interesting do you think that like um those those personal aspects like the pressures and the outside things and like you're saying like it kind of forced you in some ways to limit your um the way that you're interacting with your work right like you had to kind of pare down on certain things um and then just those sort of outside pressures and the emotional stresses and stuff do you think that there's a a connection between like in the in the grand scheme of that project do those things inform the growth of your craft as much or like is it is it hard to separate growth i think think in in this case i mean i'm sure lots of times you can have personal growth separate from artistic growth but because it was it was personal growth that was uh that was the impetus was the the comic book and and the and the uh, things involved around there so i think I think in that way they're intertwined. I think, yeah, you know, in other ways it's like, well, if I want to fix my sleeping habits or whatever, that's going to be a separate thing uh, from any artistic growth. <laughs> but uh, in this case, it was like, I think it made me a smarter artist. Hmm. Um, I think I make better choices because of it. And I think since 
I've, I've found smarter solutions for projects that are just as good as the ones I would have done before the outside circle, um, but maybe don't take 500 hours. Interesting. That's cool. Um, do you have any reflections on, uh, on whether, like just kind of going through this process now and also like being dedicated to growth in your craft outside of this project, um, do, I'm wondering if you have any reflections on, on, or what's your view on whether a person might find more growth through completing a project versus practicing their drawing skills through study devoid of like an end goal or narrative or story? Um, I think you're going to find different growth. Uh, I think, I think it's like, um, I don't know. It's like training for the marathon versus the actual marathon. Okay. Both are really good and both are necessary. Um, but eventually you want to put that into practice on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're going to learn different things from that. So if you're, if you're learning anatomy and you're learning perspective, those are all going to be important things. Um, but oftentimes uh, you're not forced to remember them until you're kind of like tested on them or until you have to implement them. Uh, and that's going to increase uh, the growth there because you're going to be having to remember how to draw a three-point perspective for something instead of just practicing it and having the book right there all the time. Uh, and you're also going to be, you know, forced to do things faster. And also to, yeah, I think, I think once you put things into practice, then you start uh, building on different skills. So I mean, I think, you know, the book helped my storytelling skills, which I wouldn't be working on otherwise. Hmm. Um, you know, making making sure that everything was clear and understandable, and to try and innovate as much as I could, uh, panel-wise, while still making it clear to a new audience. Like those were those were skills that I wouldn't have worked on in my sketchbook. Um, and uh, I think I really grew there. Uh, also letting go of style and just worrying about drawing things nicely uh, and, and to the best of my ability, that was something that I wouldn't have worked on as much in my sketchbook. I probably would have been you know, still looking at influences and trying to, trying to push things towards that. Hmm. So those were things that I think I really grew on. But I mean, now I'm doing a lot of sketchbook studies and, and trying to learn in that way, and I feel like I'm growing in another way so that when I do go back and I do uh, another comic book, that um, I'm going to have better skills and I'll probably be faster and, uh, and then I can, you know, kind of implement things in a different way and grow again in my storytelling and in my, in my kind of narrative sense there. Cool. Um, so what tools, uh, what tools, materials, or inspiration do you use personally to push your own growth? Um, so... I, I use, uh, like I look online at, on Pinterest a lot. I use that a lot. I, I find it's really fun and I can also like pin boards for specific projects and you can have secret boards if you have a project that you're not willing to uh, share with anyone yet. Uh, books, I love books so much and I'll sit down with them for a while and be like, okay, what can I get from this? And, you know, uh, you know, for, for learning stuff, but also for inspiration. Um, so, I mean, I've got, I've got my anatomy books for learning stuff and my perspective books for learning that. And then I've got, you know, just books by Rackham or, uh, Ian McKaig or whoever that I can look at for, uh, for just artist inspiration. Um, a comic book still, I go to the dollar bins and just try and find random issues that are drawn or fill in issues that are drawn by my favorite people. Uh, and you know, oftentimes they're, you know, they're cheap and they're fun and they're just like, well, here's, here's an issue done by, you know, one of my favorite guys that no one really cares about cause it's nothing special happens to Spider-Man or whatever, but it's just an awesomely drawn issue. Hmm. Um, 
those are the biggest areas. And then, uh, you know, uh, it, when we have a chance, like workshops, listening to artists, writers, storytellers speak about their craft is always inspiring and, and hanging out with other people. Uh, it's really important. I feel like until I'm working with other people, it's, it's kind of isolated and you don't get that excitement. But if you and I are writing or sketching or, you know, if I have a few friends over and we, you know, we have a beer and we're sketching like we used to in high school, that's like, that's when you get that, uh, that kind of your, your blood is boiling to, to make stuff and you get excited about it and you're like, Oh yeah, this is why I do it. It's not just, it's tough cause it's such an isolated, all this learning and all this, you know, trying to, trying to grow as an artist and making stuff is often by yourself. But if you are in a studio environment or if you get to spend some time with people who have the same interests and, and same kind of commitment to growth, that's when you get that kind of extra pick me up of, of stuff. Hmm. That's awesome. I, I agree. I find that like time spent with other artists is like so um, beneficial. It, it like it motivates and and also challenges right like it's yes it's really important mm -hmm. and i mean you know and i think some of our tendencies as artists too is to hide stuff too because you're we're insecure about stuff too like mm -hmm. we you know one minute we're the greatest in our heads and then the next minute we're like i shouldn't be allowed to hold a pencil <laughs> and so we don't want to show other people and it's easy to blow off those those kind of meetings but when you're there it's like you know, we're not ripping each other apart. We're like, oh, this is awesome. What if you did this? Or what if you did that? Or, yeah. oh, I, I, I see what you're doing there. You should look at this guy. Who's, you know, someone who's outside of, of your kind of pool of inspiration that all of a sudden opens up a new door to stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's totally what I want to do with things. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think it's really good. And, you know, we've, we've experienced that through, like, through drink and draw before or going to life drawing or uh, with the uh, Society of Children's Illustrators. Yeah. Uh, like those, those types of things are really, really good to, to bring people that are outside of your just usual circle too, and, and, and give you different perspective in that way. Yeah, totally. Um, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, uh, but I was curious about like, and this is kind of a question that keeps coming back in to me and sort of the, my own learning and stuff is around style and, um, I actually had a conversation about this with my aunt the other day. She's a potter and she was talking about oh, style and relationship to pottery, which is interesting. Right. But it's like, cool. you know, we we're, were sort of having a conversation about style and relationship to commercial viability. Right. It was kind of like what we were talking about. She was mentioning that there's certain types of pottery that people will gravitate towards in terms of purchasing or like mm -hmm. wanting to sell and stuff like that. So as a potter, if you want to be like commercially successful, you should kind of be working in a certain way. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, that's sort of like all other kind of conversation, but I was curious about, um, like, and particularly in relationship to sequential artists or sequential art, there's like this sort of tendency to develop a quote unquote style and then you become known for it. Um, and that's kind of what you sort of perpetuate in your work cause it's the way you work, right? So it's comfortable mm -hmm. and you can produce it quickly enough and all that stuff for the industry. But I was wondering, like, in your mind, are craft and style tied together, or are they sort of separate monsters? I think, well, they're, they're tied together, but they're, like, separate things. So, like, style is a result of, uh, of your choices, uh, good and bad, uh, and how to represent things. They're, mm -hmm. like, it's like your, your solution. Mm -hmm. Like, how, how many lines I decide to represent an eye? 
that's going to be my style. Hmm. Uh, and it's usually uh, kind of subconscious. You're not thinking about it as much. Mm -hmm. uh, but what happens is a lot of people will see the success in that. And it's just like when Hollywood sees like, oh, okay, they made a Western yeah. movie. So we'll make a bunch of Western movies because that's what's popular. Right. And so you know, in the 90s, we saw there's an artist, Jim Lee, who's so good. Uh, and he had a really kind of flashy style. Uh, he was paired with an inker, Scott Williams, who helped developed the style and everything was kind of shiny and had this beautiful cross hatching and people copied the surface of that and they had some success because of it but none of them had the same lasting success uh as as jim did because jim also had this structure the the under underlying fundamentals mm -hmm. that uh, that were more important than the style and that's people weren't copying that they were copying that surface stuff right and it was like right. uh you know in writing style when watchman came out in, in the 80s, it's this graphic novel that people consider one of the best 100 books of all time. It, it was like changed the industry because it was very serious and grown up and treated kind of a kid's medium and, and superheroes in a serious way. Uh, and people copied the surface of that. And so they added more violence and sex in the comics. And it's like, well, that's not what made it good. That's not why it was good. It was mm -hmm. good because it was well written and it treated the medium uh, as a legitimate kind of medium for telling stories. So it elevated it in that way. But people just copy the surface. And so that's, I think that's what style is. It's the surface. And it really doesn't matter. You can make a pleasing surface on, on stuff. But if the underneath stuff isn't wonderful, at the end of the day, it's kind of, they say, you know, like polishing a turd. It's, you don't want to do that. So, <laughs> and I focused on style so, so much early on. Uh, and I worried about the kinds of lines I made and I looked at Travis Charest, one of my favorite artists, and he draws these eloquent, beautiful lines that seem like they weren't made by human hands. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, I tried to draw like that and it was just the surface that I was copying. I wasn't trying to, trying to understand the forms underneath or, right. or the way that, you know, he built his figures or anything like that. I was just looking at that surface stuff. And I think, um, all artists will start out copying someone. And uh, like Neil Gaiman said, we, we sound like a lot of people before we find our own voice. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really true with illustration. It's like you're going to you're going to be, you know, start out. Oh, that guy's a copy of this guy. That guy's a copy of that guy. But if you keep working through it, um, that style stuff becomes less important. And it's the under mm -hmm. underneath stuff that becomes important. And you see good artists will evolve past that. And there might mm -hmm. be little remnants of that. But all of a sudden, it starts mixing in other styles and stuff. And all of a sudden, you can under, you can recognize their structure instead of saying, well, that guy's a, a clone of this person. You're like, mm -hmm. okay, that, that guy's influenced by these people, but they're not trying to be that person. And that's, that's when I think they really kind of come into your own as an artist. And I think finishing a large project like that, like the Outside Circle, forced, forced me to move past my influences like I would when I was doing like three-page samples to comic book companies. They would feel a lot like the artists that I liked. Uh, when I had to do a whole comic like that, it's like, well, I don't have time to try and try and mimic someone else. I just got to draw as good as I can. And there's some licks in there that are reminiscent of those people. But now when I when I get compared to someone, I get compared to people who are influenced by the same people. Not It's not like my stuff doesn't look like Travis Charest, but some, someone will say, well, it looks like Steve McNiven, this guy who obviously is super mm -hmm. influenced by Travis Charest. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, so it's like... My stuff is, is now filtered through me now, so it starts to feel more like my own. Um, and it, it is like there's it's layers almost, right? So it, you can have like a style, but if you don't know how to draw, like if, let's say you're trying to do something that's sequential that requires you to draw perspective and people, but you've never really studied that and you haven't taken the time to understand what you're drawing, 
then you can have a style and you might get a, a piece out there that would be quote unquote successful, but from a representational perspective, it may not be mm-hmm. like it's, there's a weird spectrum there, right? Where it's like, cause you could have like a, like, for example, like adventure time, <laughs> we, we talk about this all the time. Right. But it's like goopy. Right. And, mm-hmm. and kind of like mess, like from a, the perspective of, if you were looking at it from the perspective of, um, craft in my opinion and maybe this is another problem with it is that it's very like subjective right so mm-hmm. in my opinion like you know the art and adventure time is not a high level of craft though mm-hmm. I guess they're achieving what they want to achieve at a high level right mm-hmm. so they're focusing in on this one sort of style and doing it well so maybe that's a representation of craft right successful mm-hmm. craft I don't know like is that yeah and I mean and I mean craft can you can have different goals with your craft too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, if you want to work on your craft to draw something as representationally as, as you can and have it feel like a photograph, then that's a different skill than having something have have a, a feeling of life. So drawing right. from life, but also exaggerating it like a, a good cartoon will, where it's like it's it's not just a person running. It's a it's a feels like a person running, and there's more you mm-hmm. know, dynamism and excitement to the image than it would be if you had a photograph. Right. Right. Uh, um, yeah, uh, it's. I, I think it, you can be successful with just a really like. So if you work on that, so so maybe that is it, that craft of the surface style, and so your example of Adventure Time, like they've really nailed this really cool indie style, shaky lines. It's like a naive yeah. uh, look to it, and they have these wacky character designs and these like offbeat stories that are are like fun mashups mm-hmm. of, of stuff that people like. So I think they've worked really, like they've honed that craft, yeah, uh, that s- element of the craft, but they haven't honed the other elements that you find really important. Right. And so that's, that's you know, and that's fine, but that's not a cartoon that appeals to you because right. of that. Because right, right. You, you, you appreciate things that have uh, a different element that's kind of missing from there. Sure. And you can appreciate elements that have that kind of adventure time you look. When they when they kind of address at least a, a little bit better some of the stuff that you mm-hmm, like. mm-hmm. so yeah, it's like sure. okay you, you might like you might like uh, say you know you could almost say like some of the uh, some of the uh, no brow press books almost feel Adventure Time but there's mm-hmm. more uh, structure and mm-hmm. uh, more kind of traditional illustration skills that are kind of apparent to them so when I show you like this fantasy sports book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or the the Hilda books. You're like, oh, you respond more to those than you do Adventure Time, even though they could. Some people would put them in the same wheelhouse because they have that other element that's been yes uh, addressed. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And and I think like it's important to remember like what you said right there. They've honed in on something, and stylistically, they're approaching it in a way that fits well with what they're trying to do, right? Yeah, and so and can, it, yeah, it's like a band, right, where you dial mm-hmm. up dial up certain notches right where it's like well uh like a a punk band isn't technically going to be playing as good as like a really good like math rock band but they dial up uh the emotion they dial up this rawness and maybe lyrics that appeal to people right and uh and all of a sudden it's it's really appealing to to a certain audience because uh the things that they pay attention to are being addressed it's when when we were kids in the '90s again too. There was like, there's a few artists like Rob Liefeld who people either have a visceral love or visceral hate from, and he was one of the most popular artists. And a lot of people look back at it now because his structure is 
is crazy and he ignores backgrounds and doesn't draw feet lots of times. But he focused in on that line work that people loved and took it to the extreme. And it was like, here's just a background of some hatching. Uh, Here's some smoke that people like. Here's crazy, angry characters with swords. And you like pouches? I'll put a bunch of pouches. He (laughs) dialed up all these exciting notches that like 13-year-old boys were like, that's what's awesome about comics. And and people loved him. And, you know, I enjoyed his stuff then. And it was exciting. You're looking at it now, it's like, whoa. He got away with a bunch of stuff, but yeah. he, he really dialed in. He's he like a punk rock. He gamed the system. Yeah, it was like it was like well, he was like a punk artist, right? It wasn't about trying to draw as good as everyone else. He's like, how can I make this more exciting? Yeah, for sure. How can I make this awesomer? Yeah, yeah, and there's a, and there's a skill and a and a in, um, uh, you, like that requires a lot of uh, skill too, right? I mean, in, yeah. in, in a sense, I mean. It's like de- deliberately uh, sort of finding what works, right? And and yeah. and just working in that. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Let's let's move on. We could talk about uh, style is a weird thing for me. I don't know if I'm obsessed with it or something, but I always come back to it, and I could talk about it. No, it's all really, day. it's really interesting. I I, I like I I, uh, I was also thinking like before we move on, like uh, I think it's important to push outside of your comfort zone right, uh, right. for growth style wise or for style wise. Right. Right. So I think one of the things that have helped us and maybe he's confused you style-wise <laughs> is as a studio, we don't have like a set style. It's right, not right. like we have a project and it's like looks like Corey drew it or Kelly drew it. Mm-hmm. We, we like to say our style is that craft, right? So yeah. we say like, you know, it's going to structurally be good. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like, you know, like when you, when mm-hmm. you get a, a chair made by a craftsman and they really cared about making sure it doesn't fall apart when you sit right, on it. Right, right. And then like, we, we tailor the style what, to, to meet the story needs, right? Yeah, exactly. Based on right. based on audience and tone and all those things, which is like you know that's sort of what that's when style. And as you see, I guess for me, maybe it's because of we run things in that from that mindset that I guess maybe I um, I see style a little bit differently. I guess in a sense, we see we see it more malleable. I think. Yeah. Whereas, so say one of my favorite uh, artists in the world, and I think one of the most talented artists in the world, Mike Mignola, he draws like Mike Mignola. And, right. it, and no matter what story he's telling, it's drawn like Mike Mignola. But he decided early on that he only wanted to draw certain kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. And so his style just evolved into that. Yeah. And he's like, I like shadows. I like mood. I want to draw monsters. I don't like drawing cars. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, when he made up, he's a guy who made up Hellboy. Yeah. And he, he's like, I just, he drew like a couple issues of Hulk and Thor and stuff. And he's like, I really like guys when they fight monsters. So he's like, I'll make a character that fights monsters. And he's like, if I make the guy fighting monsters a monster, then I don't have to hardly draw any people. <laughs> yeah. So he kind of like evolved, uh, his, his, uh, you know, the types of stories he tells to, to tailor to what he likes to, how he likes to draw. Yeah. And so he doesn't, he doesn't push himself out of that. Uh, out of uh, his style, which is, you know, which is fine. His style is wonderful. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, y- if you see a kid's book by him, it's going to look like <laughs> it's going to be slightly maybe cartoonier, but it's still going to feel like really, really like his work. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Whereas if if we do something like we'll do an animated cartoon for a client and it's going to, you know, it's this is for 12 to 17 year olds. And if we do a different cartoon for uh, two to six year olds, it's going to look totally different. And we're going to find something that fits that yeah. story a little bit better. Right. Um, it's, it's tougher for us to, to grow in a linear direction as an artist. Uh, I think because of that, 
Um, but I think it also has really broadened uh, like our, our influences and uh, what we bring into our work, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I agree. So that's perfect. So in terms of influences and stuff, um, who are your biggest contemporary inspirations in regards to craft? Um, both in terms of like sequential art or just in general art. So in, in sequential art, I've got a lot, uh, but like Mike Mignola, Mignola is one of them. Uh, but like uh, Sarah Pacelli, uh, Becky Cloonan, uh, Travis Charest, Oliver, uh, Olivier Copiel, uh, Mobius, Walt Simonson, Dave McKean, Adam Hughes, Brett Lewis, JP Leon, <laughs> uh, Alan Moore is not an a artist. Uh, well, he does draw and stuff, but he writes, but he changed the way stories are told in comic books and he's just such a good storyteller. Like I always look back to his stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stuart Immonen is amazing. Mike McCone, John Byrne, Jack Kirby. Uh, and then the early guys who didn't have any other comic artists to look at are still some of the best. So like, Hmm. uh, Windsor McKay and Alex Raymond, because they were drawing from real life. They were drawing from other comic artists or generations of comic artists. So they made their own solutions for like, how am I going to draw a tree? Instead of looking at another artist, they like, I'm just going to draw. I've been drawing real trees for years. And they, their stuff is still like unparalleled. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like I look back to those guys a lot. And then outside of it, I like a lot of like, uh, like mid-century American illustrators or like that kind of renaissance of American illustration. So like Li- uh, Decker and Rockwell and, and Arthur Rackham and, uh, John Singer Sargent uh, and like older like classical artists like Michelangelo and Rodin and in uh, uh, contemporary I like uh, James Jean and Ian McKaig. Uh, Hope Gangloff is this amazing uh, artist. She does these like pen and ink, uh, just like ballpoint pen illustrations of real people. They're just like cool. uh, mind blowing and swoon. She's a street artist that I really love her stuff. Uh, so those are those are my like for for personal com- like comic illustration and personal illustration. Those are like my go-to people. Like, mm. and then for design and all that stuff, I've got the, you know books and books and like tons of like yeah, mental people <laughs> that I'm just like, oh, those are the people that I look for if I want to do you know sexy poster design or yeah, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't I actually don't uh, have influences. I just ask you who I should be influenced who, by. Who influences me, Kelly? Okay, well. <laughs> Your work looks like this and this and this, so these guys do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I've sort of discovered uh, vicariously through your knowledge who I like and what I like. I always appreciate that. (laughs) Well, it's good. I mean, you know, a lot of your influences are ones that are up there too, uh, but I just don't have 10 hours for uh, (laughs) unlimited podcast of Kelly's influences. We'll, We'll do another one one day of you just listing people. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, like I'm inspired by you and your growth and uh, and uh, we have we have some close friends uh, art-wise that inspired me yeah, too. Like, sure. uh, so Kelly Green has been a mentor of mine and he uh, he's a video game guy now, but he did one comic that I feel didn't do him justice. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's he's always been uh, a huge influence of mine. And then uh, our buddy Nick mm-hmm. again was like, uh, yeah, he inked awesome. the first my first published comic uh, cover. <laughs> uh, that I did for this uh, this zine called Purgatory, and uh, so he inked the cover. So the cover, my first thing, looks better than it should be <laughs> for buddies and kids. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, 
Um, so what, what tips do you have for illustrators struggling to move forward in the development of their craft? Um, just draw, stop, hmm. stop learning, uh, and just start doing like, hmm. you're going to learn through the doing. Uh, I default to research and reading about art, uh, and I get sucked into Pinterest holes and learning about <laughs> influences. Like, well, who influenced this artist? I like him, but you know, like Rockwell, I didn't know, you know, he looked at Lion Decker a lot mm -hmm. and it's like, well, who did Lion Decker look at? I mean, I can go down those rabbit holes, uh, but the biggest thing that where I find growth is when I just sit my butt down and I draw. And to do that, uh, that constructive, uh, like practice where you draw, but then you look at what's wrong with it and how to improve upon it. If just, just drawing without thinking about it is not going to help it. You got to do that kind of like, uh, you know, if that thoughtful, uh, that thoughtful practice. Um, it's, it's good to be a lifelong student, but don't, don't forget that, uh, you know, unless you have the courage to make this stuff, you're just going to be uh, a student and you're never going to make anything. I think, I think mm. the problem that we all have is that, uh, we want to sit and learn until it's going to be perfect before we make something, but mm. no matter what, it's not going to be perfect. Like you imagined it. So just make some stuff. And, uh, and it'll get a little bit better each time. Interesting. Yeah, that's good. And I mean, there's, so when, like just sitting, like, for example, let's take, let's say I took, just made a project for myself and I'm going to like, I buy three sketchbooks and it's like, I'm just going to fill these sketchbooks. If I sit down and I just draw like emojis and fill it with doodles. Yeah. Like, is that like when... I, I just want to like sort of expand on that a little bit. When you're saying like draw lots, you're not meaning like just sit and draw whatever, but like apply yourself to seeing, right? Like looking yes. at stuff and, and trying yes. to understand how to render it correctly. And Yeah, so if you just draw and doodle, uh, you're going to get better at that. It's going to feel more natural and it's going to look looser and there'll be you'll be developing a certain, a certain kind of loosey-goosey kind of thing, but you're not going to be really uh, growing in other areas. So it's like you decide for, first decide where you want to grow, uh, mm -hmm. and then be, be, uh, like aware of it and, and be critical of mm -hmm. it. So sit down with a goal and say, okay, well, uh, yeah, I've got three sketchbooks, maybe one sketchbook I'm going to work on, uh, you know, for first, uh, or a couple times a week. And I'm just going to do like, I want to get better at drawing people. So I'll just draw real people in that book from real life and try and learn as much as I can there. And the other book, maybe I want to get better at drawing buildings and I'll, I'll draw some just studies from real life of buildings. And then, uh, you know, then the third one is like, maybe I want to, I want to just work on my composition. So I'll just play around, you know, maybe, maybe an hour a week and just play around with like different, different things that involve composition, giving yourself some, some copying a, a master, uh, work just with rough shapes uh, to figure out composition and how they how they did stuff. They have to be thoughtful about it. So if you're doing anatomy stuff or you're doing drawings of people, you're drawing from real life, but you're also kind of sitting back and analyzing what looks good about it, what looks bad, and you can supplement that with with book learning if you want, and you want to go to a book and 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 understand anatomy better and start copying from that and implementing that with your real life stuff or just looking at like an anatomy textbook and saying okay where are the bones in the arm i'll draw arm from real life then i'll draw the bones and then i'll try and draw one from memory or whatever that is uh i mean there's lots of different strategies for for how to grow, but it has to be 
you have to be giving yourself constructive criticism as you do it. Otherwise, you'll just kind mm-hmm. of you'll learn a bit, but it'll be a really slow growth. Yeah, and if you if a young artist is like struggling, because I know for me, like I I often can't see errors or or where I need to grow or change things, and so I think like probably having finding a network of other creatives that can give you honest and constructive feedback is like super essential. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, we have that as friends and being business partners with our studio. So I always throw stuff at you and you throw it back mm-hmm. and we can talk about that. And that really has helped me to grow. Uh, you know, both of our, both of our wives are <laughs> talented artists as well. And they're also super honest. Mm-hmm. So when I do something good and my wife, says it's good it makes me so happy and if it's not good she'll be the she's like oh it's good but that eye is weird <laughs> or that needs to be changed and i'm like oh damn she's right yeah so uh so that's it like that that honest uh uh critical feedback is important truth and uh, love yeah yeah truth and love and then also um also approaching things from from uh, uh with a mindset that's open to learning and mm-hmm. that's humble Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where you excel above anyone I know. Uh, you take your ego out of the equation. Thanks, I know I'm awesome. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you take your ego out of the equation, even though you are also a multiple award-winning artist, and uh, you know have been doing this your whole life and have dedicated yourself to being better at it. You are always humble, and you listen to what anyone says, and you don't you don't discount them, even though they might be younger or less experienced or less of an artist. You don't discount their opinion because of that. You're open to that, and you're like, okay, well, what do you feel isn't working about this? Do you, you know, do you have any ideas of what would mm-hmm. make it better, or what would make it better for you? And you always listen to those. I mean, you don't have to implement those things, but I mean, you always listen and try and get, try and get that other perspective. And I think in the last, especially in the last uh, like year or so, your work has really grown because you've been pushing yourself with. Uh, other work but you're just consistently open to to mm. learning about things well thanks i think that's like um one of the things that i don't know as creatives and you know we're we're constantly uh, required to be creative right in our work mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sometimes we just have to do work and and we're always sort of gonna have some sort of external motivator pushing yeah. us um but I know, like, for me, like, I think there's, um, I don't know if that's, like, I think, the, I don't, I don't, don't want to be indelicate when I say this, but there's sort of, like, two levels of creative minds, right? There's, like, those that are kind of willing to get to a certain point and then, and then just stagnate. Yes. And then there's others that are, like, I, I don't know if it, I don't think it's an honesty thing. It's maybe just, uh, an, um willingness to apply or desire to apply yourself, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think it it has to do with your goals too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You like not everybody just wants to be the best at whatever they do. They just want to do some work that they're proud of and be successful and and make money. What's that? Just be successful and make some money and provide and whatever. Right. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with getting to a professional competent. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's, I think you and I, sometimes with creatives, we don't get when they're like, yeah, well, I don't want to know about that. Yeah, yeah. I met a, a comic artist who's fairly talented, uh, a, a couple comic artists, uh, fairly talented, both of them. One, like when I was like, oh, cool. Uh, you know, where did you learn this and this technique? And they let me know. 
And I'm like, cool, I've got, you know, oftentimes I'll be like, I've got some notes from a lecture I went to uh, that I felt really helped me. You want to, you know, you want to see them. And a lot of artists that want to grow will want to see that. And the other artist was like, nah, I don't care. I just do what I do. And that's it. And I'm like, yeah, and that's, that's okay. It's like, oh, okay. His work in five years is probably going to look the same as it does now. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It just means like that's, they've reached a point where they're like, you know what? No, I just, I just like doing what I do and I don't want to, that's a different, that's a different kind of, uh, yeah, path, right? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's okay to be on. But I mean, yeah. for us, we're on that path where we just want to keep climbing that ladder. We don't know how tall it is and let's just, let's just keep going. How can, you know, how can you help me get to that next run, right, right, yeah. Corey, or, you know, help, help me do this so that I can just get a little bit further. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, that kind of wraps it up. I don't, do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah. Like a last word? No, I think it's a, it's a crazy journey, uh, trying to, trying to be good at something, but it's, it's fun. And I think, uh, that's something that everyone needs to remember if they're working on their craft, because if you're doing it as your, uh, day job, it gets really hard sometimes to find the time or to find that love again, but just sitting down and remembering that, that path to getting good at anything is actually really enjoyable and just sitting down and being able Mm -hmm. to allow yourself to enjoy it instead of putting that pressure that clients put on you or day to day puts on you and just saying, you know, it's really good when you, and you get those little moments of you learn something I've been drawing for, you know, my whole life. And then, you know, I'll draw from a book and it's like, well, that's how eyelid works. Oh, (laughs) I've been drawing it wrong. This is awesome. This will help me. And you, you know, you don't, you don't think that there's more to learn, but there's so much more. And you're like, Oh, this is, you get those little, little bits when you have that time that just really remind you that, okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. this is, that path is wonderful and worth it. So yeah, just don't lose sight of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, man. I, uh, this was awesome. Um, yeah, I'll let you go now, but, uh, I'm going to stop the recording, but, uh, we can talk some more, but, um, yeah, thanks. It's awesome. No problem. Thank you. That was really, it was really cool. Thank you guys for listening to this interview. I encourage you to seek out Kelly Mellings on Twitter. He's at Kelly Mellings, K-E-L-L-Y, M-E-L-L-I-N-G-S. I will put a link in the liner notes. I also encourage you to take up some of the stuff that was talked about in the interview. If you're a struggling or a striving artist, or if you're just getting started, or you just want to grow, really consider some of the stuff we talked about during the interview and challenge yourself uh, to consider some of those aspects of your creative journey. I hope that this has been valuable to you. I know every time I talk to Kelly and I get to share time with him, I learn something. And I hope that you have too. I'd like to take a moment just to thank my patrons on Patreon who are supporting my endeavor to write a story called Possum Awesome and the Tome of Tomorrows. Thanks, you guys. You're awesome. I'm looking forward to continuing to share the story with you and to continue to work at it. If you'd like to support the story, please visit me on patreon.com slash Corey Lansdell. And please uh, subscribe here and leave a comment and a like. It really means a lot to me. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this. Thanks so much. Until next time, be good to each other.
So I'm going to be trying to make my YouTube channel a little bit more accessible. I'm going to be asking you if you'd like, you can click one of the links on screen to watch a video that you haven't seen. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe, please click the subscribe button. And if you would like to leave a comment, I would appreciate it. I will check in with you guys next time. All right, take care.